Um, welcome uh, to the Trice. Um, particular welcome on behalf of Hillhead Baptist Church, which is the congregation that meets here. I'm Brian, and I'm a member of the congregation. And uh, a lot of you have been here before. Some of you are here for the first time. You're all doubly welcome. Just a few safety announcements first. If there's any occurrence, like a fire or something, um, the exits are the one that you come in uh, at the back there, and this door here. And the stewards who are wearing fluorescent yellow badges will assist you to evacuate the places as quickly as possible, but hopefully there'll be nothing. Toilets um, are back out the door that you come in. The gents and ladies are just to the left, and there's an accessible toilet straight ahead. Um, just a reminder of the format for those of you who haven't been here before. Um, we will finish promptly at half past two. I should emphasise that in the beginning because I know that people have sometimes got other things to go on to, other festival events, so I promise you we will finish promptly at half past two. The first 25 minutes, our guests will um, excite us, simulate us, provoke us, anger us, uh, whatever, um, with lots of uh, um, uh, thoughts today about poetry. And then after we take a break for 10 minutes to replenish coffee cups, get something more to eat, um, then we will have about 50 minutes of, well, today it's going to be slightly different, but I'll leave our guest to explain that to you in a minute. Previously in the Philosophy Cafes over the last eight years, we have addressed um, the role of uh, a lot of the arts in our lives, of music, uh, some of you will remember James Macmillan was here, of sculpture, some of you will remember the iconoclastic day that Sandy Sturrock was here, creative prose writing, Alan Spence was here, but we always felt we should be doing something about poetry, and when we were planning this uh, West End Festival in January this year, we thought, this is the year we're going to do poetry. So we're really happy today to wel welcome Robin Marsk. Robin grew up in Wellington, New Zealand. She was educated at uh, Victoria University and then at Oxford University. She stayed on at Oxford as a junior research fellow, did some teaching, and then joined a publisher in London, describing herself at the time as a Jill of all trades doing marketing, publicity, editing and production. Um, over 20 years ago, uh, when her husband, uh, who was Scottish, got a job in his home city, uh, they came north and have lived in Glasgow ever since. Since then, Robin has worked as a freelance publisher, as an editor, as a critic, a reviewer and a and translator from French, and has continued her long editorial association with the publisher in London. Her published work uh, includes uh, Louise McNeese and Sylvia Plath, and she has co-edited an anthology, 20 Contemporary New Zealand Poets. In 2000, she was appointed director of the Scottish Poetry Library. Robin, in her own words, says that all the skills she's picked up over the years have turned out to be very useful, adding that if she'd also managed to be a heating engineer and a digital whiz kid, that would have been ideal. Anyway, today we're in poetry, not in heating engineering. The title is News That Stays, Poetry In Our Lives. Please give a very warm West End Festival welcome to Robin Mars. Thank you very much. It's um, a great delight for me to be speaking on my home turf. I just live across the road and over a bit. Um, so that's, that's a particularly nice journey for me to make, because normally I'm making a journey every day over to Edinburgh to the Scottish Poetry Library. Um, I'm just going to ask for an embarrassing show of hands. Has anybody here been to the Scottish Poetry Library? Ah. 
a lot of people here then are ripe for conversion. But at the end of the day, you'll say, the Scottish Poetry Library is the one place in Edinburgh I am longing to go to. Um, And if you don't find it easy to get over to Edinburgh, then join us online at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.co.uk because you'll find a lot there. Well, poetry has been in my life, oh, for almost as long as I can remember. So I, I have to admit to a kind of missionary enthusiasm about poetry. And I really believe that there's a poem for everybody. And if you haven't found your poem yet, maybe you'll find it today, or maybe I'll give you some directions that will help you to find it out. But I believe that poetry begins very early in people's lives, and it begins with children, of course, and with babies, because what do you give them? You give them nursery rhymes. What children love is, as you know, many of you to your cost, repetition. They want the same story over and over again, but the same kind of satisfaction can come from hearing the same lines over and over again, and this is where poetry comes in. Now, if you think to, again, a local author, Julia Donaldson. A lot of you will have read um, yourselves or to others, The Gruffalo, um, a million times, possibly. But you've been able to stand it being reread because it's a wonderful story. It is a story in verse. It rhymes. And that's one of the reasons that it really appeals to children and appeals to us while we're listening. We love the sense of rhythm and we like, we can take repetition when it's in a nice pattern. So that beginning, that joy in sound, is the first way, I think, that poetry appeals to us. And much later on, in your reading lives, you might agree with the truth of what T.S. Eliot once said, which he said that the sound of poetry might make an impression on you even before you get to the sense. And that there's something in hearing a poem aloud that will intrigue, delight, maybe even irritate you, but like the, the pearl and the oyster, makes you want to go back to it. So that sound making a kind of sense to you before you even understand the sense continues to be a great joy of poetry. So you start off with the children, and, and here I'll just say a little bit about the Poetry Library, of course, works in schools, and we are very keen that children should love poetry. But even more, we are really keen that their teachers should love poetry. And sometimes what we find upsetting or disappointing, but which we try to remedy, is that teachers have had a really dull time of learning poetry and therefore they pass on that kind of dullness to the people that they're teaching and that is such a shame because there are hundreds of poems out there that can electrify people. So one of our missions at the library is to show people how that might be done. I suppose too that we're not only talking about reading poetry but writing it and that pleasure of making a poem can also exist for the very young and for people of, broadly speaking, our age. Um, for, the, for the young, I used to be quite 
what's the word, cynical about this. I, I wasn't convinced that children writing poetry was necessarily a good thing. I thought it would be much better for them to see really good poems. Um, and they often don't write really good poems. But then often they do. And it was pointed out to me that for many children, as for adults actually, a whole, writing a whole page, or more than a whole page, filling all that space, you know, from the left to the right, seems like quite a daunting challenge. And therefore, to be able to write something in maybe three lines, if you're trying haiku, or a bit longer, just four or five lines, and being helped to find the image that really works for you, that really expresses something, a sudden sight or a sudden feeling, a sudden emotion, very briefly and concisely, can give an enormous sense of achievement to a child. And that, I hadn't understood the psychology of that, I think, um, because I was a child myself who always wrote, so it seemed to me easy peasy. But I realized that's not the case. So that business of distillation is really a wonderful thing for a child to have a grasp of. And uh, that too is something that we're trying to encourage in schools, as many teachers do. I don't, I don't want you to take away from this that I'm down on teachers, I'm not. Because I know that for many people, the most inspiring teacher they're going to meet in all their educational careers is going to be that English teacher who suddenly brings them alive with a little bit of literature, prose or verse. I've started off with the title, actually it has one more word than was in the advertised title. Um, it was Ezra Pound, that cantankerous uh, American poet, who said, literature is news that stays news. News that stays news. And as we go on in life and get a bit older, um, we realize that the language that's used around us is often a very debased language. It's a poorly expressed thought. It's an inaccurately expressed thought. It's a careless or <coughs> it's a careless thought. And it's a careless thought because it hasn't been expressed carefully. And the whole business of poetry is to weigh every word that's put down. And you people who write will know that. You know, it's not something that descends out of the clouds and arrives fully formed on a page. And anybody who's had the pleasure of looking at poetry manuscripts, and you can do that, uh, the British Library, of course, is a great place to do it, but there are some places, other places you can do that, will see how much crossing out and thinking again and casting off of the whole first stanza, which looked gorgeous to begin with, but you do away with later. That whole absolute, absolute concentration and focus on every word in the poem is what makes poetry stand out from any other kind of writing. It's, you can't afford slack words. You can't afford a few lines to just sort of bumble along with while you're heading for the main thought. Everything has to work. And that's one of the things that distinguishes a good poem from a bad poem. You can ask me later about um, good poetry and bad poetry if you wish to. Um, um, so
So that, that freshness of language and that exactness of language is absolutely vital. And of course, there are times in our lives when we really want that power ourselves and we just don't have it. And I think the first, not the first time, because of course when you're young, um, I mean under, under your adolescent years, you still have lots of emotions churning away at you that you want words for. And that's one of the things that you go to imaginative writing for. Somebody who opens the door on your world and says, yes, it's like this, and you think, and I'm sure you've all had that moment, yes, this is exactly how it is. And somebody said it for me, and I'm not alone. That's one of the great things about literature. But about poetry particularly, I would say in teenage years might be a very rich time when you turn to poetry. And for two reasons, I think. One is either you're feeling absolutely ghastly about almost everything, um, and therefore you need somebody to express this feeling of, of of melancholy, of depression, of the world being too much, of your parents being too much, of your appearance not being right, of never going to fall in love. So you've got all that, and school being ghastly. So you've got all that to think about. But on the other hand, of course, when you're a teenager, if you're lucky, it may be the first time you fall in love. And then you think, oh, how am I going to express this fabulous feeling? And uh, poetry is what you turn to. And, you know, my love is like a red, red rose will still work. And all those things that are classical will still work because they still seem fresh to us, but there are also some very modern things that work and feel fresh to us. And one of the things that we have found at the Poetry Library, and I'm sure that you will have noticed also, is that this is a more... Obviously, this is a more secular society, perhaps even than the society in which most of us grew up. And therefore, the great moments of life, which include, obviously, uh, um, weddings, are things that are still celebrated in church, but often by people who, don't, uh, who want to mark that moment spiritually, but don't want to use God language for it. And therefore, what, where can they go? Well, obviously poetry, because poetry covers the whole spectrum. Um, we at the library are run all the time by people who want words for these great occasions, because what we want when we come to these occasions, and it might be the naming of a child, or it might be a wedding, or it might be, of course, a funeral, is that we want to have something that's really, really memorable that kind of heightens the sense of the occasion, that gives us a feeling that there's something beyond ourselves, and yet of which we're a part. And wonderful poetry can do that. So um, in the end, we got tired of Xeroxing um, poems and sending them out and so forth, and we produced our own book. So um, we do have a little book called Handfast, which has got poems for, for weddings. And for weddings to be said publicly, because of course there are private poems. I'm sure, I hope, that many of you will have copied out a poem and given it to somebody. And it's a very personal exchange. And very interestingly, uh, talking to somebody recently who does work in prisons and poetry, they said that the people who can write in a prison and I mean more than 
just form the words, but who have some kind of um, writing ability, are very, very precious because people have so much, so much emotion churning around in them in these circumstances that somebody who can express that for them is really precious to them. And sometimes it may be that that person has a poem that they can use. Um, so we have that this wedding book which um, works in all sorts of ways. It's got winter weddings, it's got weddings overseas, it's got things in Gaelic and Scots, and um, it's got um, one by Liz Lockhead that she wrote for, um, for a wedding nearby here. Um, and it's also got something very uh, light-hearted, and I'm only going to give you one half of it, called By the Inn. Um, I guess you all know what a By the Inn is. Uh, is there anybody here who could explain it? <laughs> can, you, can you explain what a By the Inn is? A By the Inn is um, a partnership where one or the other has decided to live with the other, but without the sacrament of marriage. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice. So here's somebody who says, who's giving their application to be a Baidian. Oh, let me be your Baidian and keep you close within as dearest kith and kin. I promise I'd be tidy in whatever bed or bunk you're in. I'd never ever drink your gin. I'd be <laughs> your multivitamin. I'd wear my sexy tiger skin and play my lovesick mandolin. It cannot be a mortal sin to be in such a dizzy spin. I'd like to get inside your skin. I'd even be your concubine. I hope you know I'm genuine. Oh, let me be your by the end. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that was written by Diana Hendry and... Um, <clears throat> Hamish White replied to it and appointed her to the post, uh, where she is still, I'm very happy to say. So poetry um, has its lighter moments as well. Um, of course poetry doesn't deal only with personal emotion, and um, that's what I'm going to maybe take a look at in the second half. Um, I'm going to put some poems around, and we're going to read them, and you you, you can tell me what you think of them, and I'll tell you what I think of them, and I think that will be advantageous uh, for everybody. But I'm going to just pass around now two poems and talk about them. And they're poems about big questions, because um, poetry with its care for language is a great way of thinking about things that really matter to us. And I don't know whether I've got enough here, but I've got here are two poems. Does anybody read Gaelic? Is there any Gaelic speaker here? Could you read us something in Gaelic first? Yeah, great, thank you. So one poem is by Edward Morgan, and one poem is by Derek Thompson, late of this parish, as it were. He taught um, up in the, the university. So I've got this many pairs. If you could just put them table by table, maybe, and see how that goes. Um, and at this stage, I'm not going to ask you. You should ask the question. Oh, yeah, yes, that's right. And what I want to 
partly addressed through the, through these poems is um, the notion that some people will say poetry is not for me, and I don't know whether some of you have come here thinking, well, you know. I'll give it a go again, but poetry is really not for me. And maybe one of the reasons you're saying that is because you think that poetry must be difficult. And indeed, to go back to T.S. Eliot, he said, these are difficult times and they require difficult poetry. And I, I just want to give you what might be thought of as a difficult poem and what I think is a more accessible poem and just briefly talk you through those. So I'm going to begin, I think, with Lewis in Summer. And this is a poem by Derek Thompson. And I think it would be lovely to hear us here today. Would you like? Yours and Howdy. Okay, this is Lewis in Summer, but we're going to hear it in the Gaelic first. Yours is Dowder. A near mouth, Hosseller, Tana, Markenberg and Brat, Scala, and the Rebel. Some grew here, Nahuye, and Fianish of Hoy, a given tart, the Scatan. Continuous in Giane, Artachel, Sion Tokkabel, Irmet, Irent Hurl, Akur Hopik, a Vachke, Ertunia, Shouting a Stach and Hiriak, Hanyal Famer, Fjalsenach. Thank you so much. Um, so that goes back to my feeling that some things appeal to us already by sound. Now, I'm not a Gaelic speaker, as you can probably tell from my vowels. And as it was mentioned, I come from New Zealand. I've kind of kept those. So I can't get my tongue around the R's or the or anything in the right way. But um, this is a, a poem that's appealed to me for years since I first came across it. Um, and what I like about this poem um, is the kind of homeliness and localness of it. So I love the idea that God could be seen sitting eating his potatoes and herring. I like that as a little, maybe flick back to the feeding of the 5,000, five a little bit of fish there, um, but yet it's local, the, the Lewis thing. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's a sudden clarity, a moment of sudden clarity. God's on his own up there. And what that means you could discuss between you, though, not just now, but, um, you know, is he not hearing us, or are we not reaching him, or is he not reaching us, or... Um, and then you think of Lewis on a summer's day, and you think, well, maybe, maybe you don't need God at all. Maybe it's enough to get a sense of something beyond you, by simply looking at the Scottish landscape, or in this case, the Lewis landscape. And I know that there are a lot of people who go out walking and climbing who do feel when they're on top of something, um, or walking by a river or looking at the sea, that this puts them in touch with something larger than themselves. 
eternity if you like. But there's so much packed in this little poem and I, I commend it to you and I hope you'll go back and have a look at it. But it's not a difficult poem. I mean, there's a lot in it, but it's not a difficult poem. Let's have a look at message clear. <laughs> now, you look at this and you think, mm-hmm, uh, I think I agree with the Times Literary Supplement, which said when it first came out, this is not a poem. Um, or at least the Times Literary Supplement published it, but then people wrote in to say, this is not a poem. And Eddie himself, um, Edward Morgan himself called it an emergent poem. So that very last line contains all the word, uh, contains all the letters contained in the whole poem. And the way the letters are presented are exactly in the order in which they appear in the last line. Some of them have been knocked out and some of them have been left in. And if I said to you, no, you might say to me, well, this just looks like a kind of a poetry game. And really, what does it mean to me? And if I said to you that Edward Morgan composed it, he said it came to him almost complete in his head. So that's going against that whole notion that I suggested to you earlier where things need to be crossed out all the time. I'm sure they did a little bit, but actually he was famous for composing most things in his head. So he said he was on the bus, as Eddie often was, in Glasgow, and that's where he overheard a lot of things that went into his poetry. He was on the bus, and he had been visiting his father, who was dying of cancer. And Eddie was not a believer in God. But this is the poem that came to him. Now, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to see whether this makes a difference to you, and I think it will. Message clear. Am I If I am he, hero, hurt, there and here and here and there, I am rife in Zion and I die. I am air sect, I am air section of the life of men. Sure, the die is set and I am the third at rest. O oh life, I am here. I act, I run, I meet, I tie, I stand. I am Thoth, I am Ra, I am the sun, I am the sun. I am the erect one. If I am rent, I am safe. I am sent. I heed, I test, I read. A thread, a stone, a tread, a throne. I resurrect a life. I am in life. I am resurrection. I am the resurrection and I am, I am the resurrection and the life.
that make a difference to you. <laughs> so at the end, the message is clear. But for the speaker himself, he has stammered his way through it. He has found his way through it. He has tested and thought what he might be. And some of those things are quite strange things. I am the third. Well, for those of you without maths like me, you know, I have to look it up. And um, the third is one of those things. It's a number in a square root. And if you don't express it in that square root, you have to express it as a decimal, and it goes on forever. Um, I am Thoth. Sounded vaguely like um, William Blake to me, but I looked it up. Um, Thoth, is, as some of you will know, is one of the great Egyptian gods. Um, he was one who maybe helped to hold up the universe, and he was also one who judged the dead. And of course, Ra is the sun god. I am Ra. I am the sun with the U. I am the sun with the O. So there's piles in this poem. <laughs> and you might just think it was a game if you looked at it. But if you give it the same attention that Morgan gave it when he was composing it, if you pay him the tribute, the poet, the tribute of taking the care and reading that he took in writing, then I think that you can get a great deal out of this poem. And I think, although I've got, in fact, loads more to say, as you can imagine, um, I'm going to pause here in a, in a moment. I'm just going to um, go back to that idea that poetry is news that stays news. This, if you like, gives you an example of the good news in, in its poetic form. And um, poetry, of course, will take on politics. And since we were talking about Edwin Morgan, you, most of you will remember the opening of the Scottish Parliament and that his poem was there, read by Liz Lockhead. And in that poem, Morgan was able to give us both a sense of the idealism of the opening of Parliament and the realism. You know, we don't want you to be a lot of forelock-tugging fierties, I think was the phrase, um, about the parliamentarians. And he was able to express for us a very public and civic sense of what we wanted, and poetry can do that too. Um, some of you will know a really wonderful couplet by Alan Jackson, called Young Politician. What a lovely, lovely moon. And it's in the constituency, too. <laughs> um, so that says in two lines quite a lot about politics. Um, and that's that dis distilling ability of poetry. So I just want to close this part by saying by quoting from William Carlos Williams, a great American poet. Um, and in response to, to um, Pound saying literature is news that stays news, William Carlos Williams added a warning in a poem. It is difficult to get the news from poems, 
but men and women die every day for lack of what is found there. It is difficult to get the news from poems, but men and women die every day for lack of what is found there. It's not that they don't have... It's not that poems give you your actual sustenance, such as we're having today, but that they give you something without which the spirit shrivels up and dies. Okay, um, I think we pause here, you refresh yourselves, and I'm going to give you some poems to look at when we come back, and you can ask me questions, of course. Thank you.